John chapter 8. Just begin reading here in the first verse. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came down unto him, and he sat down and he taught them. Let's get this picture for a moment. This is God in the flesh, the rabbi of rabbis, the one who understands the precepts and heart and law of the Father better than anyone who's ever lived on the earth. That's the context. And this man is teaching. And then some religious people come. The scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him, or reason to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, or least, youngest. Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself, he saw no one but the woman. He said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. <laughs> then, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now, understand this context. The light of the world is speaking to them about light and freedom and joy and all of the wonderful things of God. And religious people focused on religious law come up and interrupt Him. Not because they really care, but because they want to trip Him up. They are using this woman as a tool to elevate their own egos and to try to detract from the purpose of God. And I want you to understand as I begin this message, that is what religious people have always done with women. They've used them as tools. That's not what God has ever done with women. And the reason I read this passage to begin with is because as I tried to prepare this week, every time I tried to study what I should preach, my heart was overwhelmed with the heart of God for you women. I want you to understand, Jesus' earthly life was bookended by women. He came into the world through a woman. And when He died, women were there. And when He resurrected, women were there. So don't you ever say women aren't important. An old preacher told me one time, and he came from an era where you just were a male chauvinist. That's just what it was, if you want to use that term. And he said, don't ever be hard on women. A woman was the mother of God. That's what he told me. There's wisdom in that. But I read this passage and boy, there's some wise teaching in here that I wish I could get into. Uh, I feel like I need to move on to the message. But this pa- I want you to see the heart of Jesus. No criticism toward her. And it's really interesting. He combated this ridiculous approach of the religious people with one sentence. I have to say this before I move on. Sometimes these people on the other side of truth 
on this topic of men and women and our roles. They use a bunch of words and they try to trap you in feeling guilty or feeling like you're... um, whatever words they want to use to make you feel like a bad, insensitive person. We need to be more like Jesus and answer with a sentence or with a word and not buy into their little discussions that don't mean anything. I'm not participating in that. I told you all, I'm not calling you your preferred pronouns. Anybody. Not doing it. Not doing it. This is, this, and not because I'm mean, but because it's not true. Jesus didn't participate. He didn't get on their level. They're talking. They're asking Him. He's just... He doesn't even answer Him. He gets down and starts writing. I've always wondered what He was writing. You know what? It doesn't really matter. I've wondered if He was writing their sins out. I've heard people speculate. I don't know what He was writing. But the point is, He didn't feel compelled to change who He was to benefit their desires. He stayed who He was. Brothers and sisters, as we combat ridiculous false truths in the world, stay who you are in God. And then, the main thing I want to bring out in this is, the religious people are hard on this sinful woman. Jesus isn't. I tried to think. I looked at Scripture. Sometimes Jesus was sharp or severe with people. Sometimes he said things to his disciples that seems unkind, and maybe it was because it was loving. But I tried to think of an example where Jesus was ever hard on a woman. I couldn't think of any. I I literally couldn't think of any. In the very lineage of Jesus was a prostitute. Do you know that? That King James uses the word, uh, what's the word it uses? Something that sounds, what is it? Harlot. That sounds a lot easier to do. No, she was a prostitute. You know, Jesus let a woman like that water his feet with tears, rinse the dust off, and try them with his hair. That's the heart of God toward women. You understand? So, nobody here uh, can accuse me of preaching some kind of uh, misogyny. That's a word. I don't even know what it means, but that's what people say. You can't accuse me of that because... What I'm doing today is preaching what God put on my heart, and this is His heart for women. Unbelievable compassion, tenderness, and love. Beyond anything we can understand. Keep that in your mind as we go into this message. Uh, On the way home from service last week, when I announced that this is what I'd be preaching today, my wife said, uh, so you're going to preach about women next week? Instead of having a woman teach the women? How do you feel about that? And uh, (laughs) that brought up something that I need to point out. And I don't think she meant this. But some people think that only women can talk to women about women's issues. Some people in our culture think that a man has no right to say anything. And there's this slogan, a man can't tell me what to do with my body. And they use that to justify murder. Literally. It doesn't make any sense. So my... And I understand that. And, and that assumption that I'm a man so you don't have to listen to me if I say something about women. Be careful where that came from. I don't know that anybody here feels that way, but these messages go online. A lot of people hear them. Somebody listening might feel skeptical about listening to a white man in a tie about what women are or should be. So I want to encourage you to actually listen. Don't try to take issue with what you think I'm saying. Listen to what I'm actually saying. I want to encourage everybody to do that. 
Because this assumption that only a woman could talk to a woman, it, it comes from this cultural trend that, that there's no objective reality, no absolute truth, and personal experience is all there is. Personal opinion. It breeds this attitude, you're not a woman so I'm not going to listen to you. And here's the thing, we're not talking about my opinions, we're talking about truth. And my burden today, what God has put in my heart, is not to tell you women what it's like to be a woman. Because I, I have no idea. And I never will. Again, contrary to the popular cultural thing, I wasn't born a woman, I'm never going to be a woman. And for one, I'm, I'm happy, that's fine with me. I like being a man. So, uh, you ladies, I mean this with all sincerity. I'm not, I don't know, I'm not telling you what it's like. And here's the thing, it doesn't matter much what I think anyway. What God has put on my heart is to try to preach what He says about women. My goal is not to tell you my opinions. I might put a few opinions in, but that's not the goal. My goal, my burden is to teach what God says. And listen to me, sisters, listen to me, women, listen to me, everybody. If you are a sincere child of God and a serious disciple of Christ, that's all you should care about, what God thinks. You should be able to let go of everything else. Now, there might be a rub, there might be friction inside of you, it might be hard. Sometimes, when the Lord saved me and that thing that we call conviction set in, which was the love of the Holy Spirit drawing me to Him, that was terrible. It was miserable. It was hard for me. And Scripture talks about that. Paul talked about uh, when he was dealing with that, and and the Lord told him, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. It's hard sometimes to take truth and to... Allow it to penetrate. But I want to encourage us, not just with this message, but with all of the preaching of God's Word, to be willing to set aside our pride and what we think and what we want and what we're comfortable with and listen to what He says. So pray for me that I'll, I'll do that. Say what He says. Now, part of the introduction to this message, Brother Allen and I briefly talked about this earlier. Human culture always has a tendency to shift from extreme to extreme. There's never any reasonable middle ground with society. And maybe a hundred years ago or eighty years ago, society, at least in this country, at least in the south or the west where we are, in the south of the U.S., uh, there was one extreme, which was a, a, it was a male-dominated extreme. It was. And um, it, the attitude was um, that women are there just to do whatever the men want and they need to sit over there and be quiet until he says what he wants. And I saw this when I was a kid on my dad's side of the family, old Appalachian type people in the country. I saw this um, extreme attitude practiced when we had meals at my granny's house. The children ate first, and then the men, and then hours later the women ate after they served, 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 served. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. That's up to what the Lord shows you, but it's not like that in my house. My wife's not a slave. She's not a servant. And, And that was one extreme. We need to just go ahead and get it out of the way. I don't think it was right. It, women aren't second-class citizens. If, if you were treated like that when you were growing up or by your daddy or your husband, 
That's not how Jesus treated women. Okay? But now we're in some other crazy extreme where not only are women equal, now they're expected not just to be allowed to, but to actually do everything men do and to do it better. There's a general attitude now in this other extreme that our society is in that women are in competition with men. Men are viewed as the enemy and the patriarchy must be destroyed at all costs. That's what's going on out there in the school systems, in the universities, and in the media. You just turn on the TV and see it. Or get on Instagram or Facebook and you'll see it. That's part of why this is on my heart. And listen, maybe the saddest of all with this extreme view that our society is in at present is this um, attitude that any traditional view of womanhood is less than or needs to be rejected or it's not good enough. I, I can't tell you how many women have told me all I ever wanted to be was a mom. You know how many women have told me that? But they weren't allowed to be. It wasn't enough. In the family they grew up in, they couldn't just be a mom. They had to have an important career, not just a career, an important one. They had to climb the corporate, corporate ladder. They had to bust through the glass ceiling. Has anybody ever thought about, I mean, people who push these things? And I'm, I'm not, okay, this is hard. Nowhere in this message am I saying what women can't do or what women shouldn't do or, or you're not allowed to have a job. Or, listen, I've worked with and for some smart women. I've had, they, I mean, good at their job. Who were in a position they needed to be in. And they, they did fine. And so I'm not, saying, I'm not saying anything I'm not saying. Okay? But here's what I'm telling you. This extreme where the culture has shifted from all you can be is a mom. There is nothing else you can be. And now all I want to be is a mom. That's not good enough. That's the attitude. So many young women feel like that's not good enough. And I want you to hear me say this. The, the most important job that I know of in the world is being a good mom. I mean, Really? You're shaping the future. You are raising up a person who's going to build the future world. And what better opportunity, and men have a role in this too, but today's message is women. What better opportunity than to raise up a child that's going to know and fear and serve the Lord? You know of a better job than that? Working at some stupid law firm? Being some corporate manager? Do you know of a better job? I don't. I don't. Now, I'm not saying you can't have a job, okay? And I'm going to quit worrying about being misunderstood. I'm just going to preach the rest of this message. Okay, obviously neither one of these extreme views are correct. Neither the, the, that um, male-dominated women are important view or this women are everything and men are nothing view. Neither one of those are right. And I would say neither one of them are good. Uh, we have this culture now, and I want to make sure this is clear, because I don't know if everybody here understands exactly how hard it is to be a young woman. Women aren't just expected to do jobs, they're expected to do the jobs of women and men, and men are expected not to act like men. That's the world we live in now. Women are expected to be something superhuman, and men are expected to be something less than human. That is the West. 
And it's, it's, it's nuts. It's weird. We've never yet lived in a country where the young people are brainwashed from almost infancy to only focus on all the bad things that this country has done. We've never experienced that before. We have an entire generation being raised that this country's evil, that the way things have been done are evil, and that they're destructive and dangerous and they need to be overturned. And I would say to those people, what are you going to replace it with? It makes me think of a quote Thomas Sowell said, we've traded what worked for what sounds good. Maybe the other extreme, that male-dominated extreme, there were some problems with it. There were some things that weren't pleasing to the Lord. I'll be the first to admit it. But in some way it worked. And now we've got a thing, it's not even working. And to any logical person with their eyes open and their ears open and seeing the problems, it's, it's not working. It's almost impossible now to raise a family on one income. That's not an accident. The enemy did that on purpose. Because your family unit being intact in the man being a man and the woman being a woman and the children being raised up seeing both of those examples in the home, that is a threat to the enemy. It's a threat to statism. It's a threat to Satan and all of his forces. That's the greatest tool that God has. The ecclesia, the church, the congregation is of utmost importance. But I, I want you to understand, the first institution God ever created was marriage. And that institution was created before there was sin in the world. That's another message. But th it's not by accident that the enemy has created a culture where it's very difficult to live in biblical roles. Just know that. So there's a little background. There's a little, uh, I guess, introduction. And then as we get into the rest of this message, I want you to think about God's heart toward women, Jesus' heart toward women. I could give you other examples. I do want to mention the woman at the well. You might know that story. The woman of Samaria. This is from John chapter 4. And I'll read a little bit of it because I want you to see his heart toward her as well. John chapter 4. Uh, just turn back a few pages. This is in a culture... We don't have this culture here. This is in a culture where women did depend on men and where they were basically property and where if you didn't have a husband or a dad to take care of you, there wasn't anybody. I think that's part of why Jesus wasn't hard on prostitutes. Sometimes that's the only way they could support themselves, really. It doesn't mean it's not sin, but, but he, he, was, he wasn't harsh. In fact, he was never hard on any honest-hearted sinners. Any honest seekers. The only people Jesus was hard on were the phony religious people. So let's just look at a little bit of this story. Again, seeing the heart of God. Beginning the first verse. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself didn't baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us. We don't have anything in our culture that compares to that. But Jews did not have anything to do with Samaritans. 
He was violating cultural and religious customs just by talking to her. According to all of their teachings, he wasn't even supposed to speak to her. He was supposed to pretend she wasn't there. So, she comes to draw water. Jesus says to her, give me a drink. Now, that that sounds demanding. I want you to understand, in this culture, he was honoring her just by speaking to her. Just by asking for her to help him. It was a great honor. And she understood that. And she said, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? (laughs) Oh, she doesn't know what she's asking, does she? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come draw water. This is an... A recorded interaction, but I, I want you to see there was a lot more going on than just these words. The Holy Spirit is working in this woman's heart. Jesus is telling her the truth. He's preaching to her and she's being drawn. And he says, this is what it, you, that I have to offer you. And she says, give it to me. I'm ready. The, the, the um, depth of this is sort of lost in the, in the um, limited words that we have. Now, This is where Jesus was more interested in truth than being nice. He loved her enough to be nice, uh, to be honest, not just nice. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. That's only part of the truth. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. So not only is she a Samaritan... But according to Jewish custom, she's, she's done the unpardonable sin five times, and now she's just living with a man. I mean, she's the worst of the worst, according to their laws and traditions. He said, um, she then said, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet, 19th verse. She says, there's something I'm drawn to. I can sense there's something different about you. And then she goes on and explains, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She's talking about Jewish culture. Jesus said to her, A woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those that worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to Him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He'll tell us all things. Isn't this beautiful? This woman whose life is messed up, who isn't the right kind, who's not the right lineage, who's not uh, related to the right people, who doesn't go to the right, quote, church. She, nothing about her is right. And yet she knows enough of the truth that the Messiah is coming and she's been expectantly looking for him. (laughs) And then Jesus says, I that speak to ye am he. She says, I know the Messiah is coming. He says, I am the Messiah. (laughs) You know what a lot of people do when confronted with that clear of truth? They shut down. 
They back up, they get on their heels, they put up their defense walls, they run away. That's not what she did. And by the way, if God is ever dealing with you and trying to save you, you need to do what she did. Don't throw up those walls, don't back up, don't run away. He told her the truth, she repented and trusted him. The disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar, went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Now to finish up that story, and again, the wording is limited, but here's what happened. Jesus told her the gospel, God dealt with her, she repented, she was saved. Her life was transformed in such a way that she, a person who was filled with shame, went back to her town boldly proclaiming what God did for her. She had this attitude, come see a man. It was all about him and nothing about her. She didn't waste time talking about, I was so filthy and dirty, I ain't nothing and no good for nobody. No, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Isn't that what happened when God saved you? It's what happened when He saved me. I didn't interpret it with those words, but that's what happened. Lord, you've seen to the depths of my heart, and you still love me. That's why He's worthy of our worship. It says, many people trusted in the Lord because of her testimony. Now, she wasn't a preacher. She didn't have any of the credentials, whatever. You know what she was? A saved child of God. And I don't want you to take this word the wrong way, but uh, this is the first example of somebody really evangelizing in Scripture. It was a woman. doesn't mean she was a preacher. But God saved her, and she went and told people. And her testimony was so compelling that they trusted the Lord. Don't ever diminish what God can use women to do. Scripture teaches, contrary to this notion that women should be held back or that they should be superhuman, Scripture teaches that women should be highly valued, treasured, honored, and protected. And again, we live in an upside-down world. You know, I've held the door open before, and I had a woman tell me, you think I can't open the door because I'm a woman? I was so... I didn't know what to say. I just, (laughs) I was at Lowe's one time, and I'm not very tall, but there was a a little short woman about four foot eleven trying to reach something. I grabbed it for her. You think I can't reach it because I'm a woman? And I said, no, because you're short. (laughs) This is what this worldview is doing. It's warping reality. I would have helped a short man get it, a shorter man. I'm a short man, but a shorter man is dangerous. Being as tall as you are, Al, and people be mad all the time. You think you're just getting I'm, silly, silly. I want to be clear. I've already said this, but God has never approved of women being oppressed or abused. Uh, but He doesn't approve of this notion that that you have to be something He didn't make you to be. I've talked to some of these um, feminist types. And sometimes when you get past all the bravado and all the stuff they were trained to think, sometimes if the Lord is in the conversation and you get past the shell, they'll tell you, this isn't working. I'm not happy. (laughs) I thought I would be. It's not. I've had conversations with people like that. All right, more scripture, not more of my opinions. Let's look at Genesis. 
again, we're trying to focus on what God says about women. We've seen the heart of God toward women that's incredibly gentle and loving and kind. Let's look at the first example of a woman in existence from Genesis. Last week we pointed out that um, God created Adam and gave him dominion. He gave him dominion. That's what God gave to men. And then he realized, I don't know if realized is the right word because God knows everything, but he purposed in his heart to make somebody to help Adam. Let me just read this to you. Um, 15th verse, 2nd chapter of Genesis. The Lord God took the man, put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. You remember last Sunday we talked about what that means, dress and keep. It has to do with um, serving and protecting. Men, that's how you're supposed to treat women. And each other. Serve and protect. My little girl the other day, we're sitting at the table, and she's two years old. You know there's a, a, a quote that says, out of the mouth of babes. And she said, Dad, I want you to talk soft to me. I wasn't talking harsh in that moment, but I have before. And I told her, here's what I told her. I said, okay, honey, I'm going to try really hard to talk soft to you and your mommy, and I'll save the other talk for, for bad guys. And let me say this before we continue. You look at the history of the people of God. God had a whole lot of men who were warriors. They could, they could kill an enemy and hold a baby in the same day. <laughs> now... Men, if we're not willing to be that, then the women have to be. But that's not their job. Like Jody said last week, that's Alan's wife. She said, if you weren't here, basically, uh, just because we can doesn't mean we should. And it was well said. All right, so the man's job is is to serve and protect That's what keeping and dressing the garden, that's dominion. Dominion is not domination or power. It is um, service and protection and doing what's best for what you have charge over. The Lord God commanded the man, 16th verse, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat thereof you shall surely die. Where's Eve? She's not there. She hasn't been invented yet or created. God gave this command to Adam. Now, that doesn't mean, women, that you can't hear from God directly. You absolutely can. In fact, that's the only way you can be saved is to hear from God directly. Your husband can't save you. A pastor can't save you. No man can do it. But I want you to understand the importance of this. The law, the command, the one rule was given to Adam. And then the Lord God said, 18th verse, It's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them and whatever. Adam called every living creature. That was his name. Adam gave names to all cattle, to all fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. 
The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and he brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and there'll be one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and not ashamed. In what God created, there's absolute harmony. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no conflict. There's none of this friction that we now have. That's part of the curse. And yet, God made, before sin, the curse didn't make us different. God made man and woman completely different. Sin didn't cause that. I want you to understand that. He had different roles for them. He had different jobs for them. And they were made in different ways. Adam is a dirt man. Eve is a, a woman from a man. She came out of him. Isn't that interesting? There's a lot there that we could see. But I want to move along for the sake of this message. Um, a lot of people over the years have taken this phrase, help me, as, as one word like a compound adjective, and I've even seen a book called Created to Be as Help Me. I never really understood what this meant until I was in college. I had an English professor who was a Hebrew scholar. I don't know Hebrew. I can look it up in Strong's Concordance, but I don't, I don't understand it. And it's not even an alphabet like ours. This man was a Hebrew scholar, and he explained one day to me that a better translation of this verse would be a helper against him. A literal rendering. Before sin, God created Eve to be a helper counterbalancing Adam. He created her not just to be a helper and certainly not to be a buddy. He created her to be completely different. Isn't that beautiful? And the world's trying to tell us it's not the case. It is. This was good. God created it this way on purpose. He made Eve completely different than Adam on purpose. It's embedded in the Hebrew language. She was supposed to counter, if Adam went this way, she could go this way and balance it out. That was all before sin. Adam needed help. And he didn't just need another man to come help him. He needed somebody completely different than him to be a counterbalance for him. And in a marriage, and I don't want this message to be about marriage. That'll be for another message. But that's how it's supposed to be. A counter, And it can be that way in society too. There's women in here who haven't been married, maybe never will be married. That's fine. You're not less of a woman. I want you to hear me say it. Some of you are widows and you're not going to marry again. That's, that's, that's fine. But if we will live according to the precepts of God, even since society, in society, instead of having this competition and this artificial conflict. They, the, the enemy invented that, by the way. He doesn't want us to get along, men and women, black and white, brown and yellow people. He doesn't want anybody to get along. God creates love and harmony. And if we will submit ourselves to the law of God in this church and even in society, we will see more harmony and more working together. We're not, listen, men, women, we're not supposed to be against each other. God didn't make, and it's not necessary. It doesn't have to be that way. So, Eve is a helper against him. Not, not in competition and not in conflict, but a counterbalance. That's what it means. 
We know what happened with the fall. Uh, I might mention that in a minute. But let's just look at what we see from this passage. The first man was created to have dominion. And so, even today, a man's most fundamental need is to matter. Men crave significance. They need to do something important. Now, people have different personalities. My little brother and I were raised in the same household, and he has a much more gentle temperament than I do, a much more calm... I'm not talking about personality. I'm talking about there's a fundamental need in every man because God made you this way. You need to do something that matters. And the best cure for depression and anxiety in young men is to do something that matters. Okay? The first woman was created not to have dominion, but to be in a supportive role. That doesn't mean all women can ever do is help men. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying, God created Eve to be a helper to Adam. And if you want to have a happy home, that dynamic has to be there. The man is the one who has dominion over the home, and the woman is the supportive helper. That dynamic. It doesn't, I know people, uh, it might be this way in my marriage. Sometimes the wife is smarter than the husband. She still submits herself to him if she wants harmony, if she wants to serve the Lord. Now, some of you, I grew up in a home like this. Sometimes the man's not interested in being a spiritual leader. If he's not going to lead the home, mamas, you better, or the enemy will. My mother was forced into that role, and thank God she stepped into it. It's too bad she had to. But if she hadn't been the spiritual leader, the enemy would have been. My dad wasn't. He wasn't interested in it, maybe not capable of it. So it's not a diminishing thing. It's not that you're not important enough to be in a supportive position. It's a beautiful thing. It's no accident, and and now I'm going to move along quickly, because I don't even know how long I've been up here. Should I pause and do a part two on this message? Or y'all, y'all are okay? All right. Stand up and stretch if you need to. Um, it's not making you less than to be in a supportive role. It's embracing what God designed. Now, again, sometimes in the brokenness in your own home, you have to step into roles that God didn't mean for you to. And by the way, let me go ahead and say this. I've seen this in my life. A woman can do everything a man can do if she has to. It's amazing. It's amazing. Men can't do everything women can do. We can't conceive a child. We can't raise a a human life inside of us. We can't give birth. We can't nurse. You think that's limiting you to be a mother? It's miraculous. And I'm not even talking about just being a mother. I'm talking about embracing that feminine role God gave you. It's so beautiful. And I realize the world's broken and sometimes you're in a situation in life where you have to adopt a masculine role. I understand all that. So does God. And if your heart's trying to serve Him, He's not hard on you about that. Know that. So the first point, and I'm going to just run through these. The first point is... The woman was created to be in a supportive position. That's not Josh Gregory's opinion. That's what Genesis shows us. The second point, 
Everything about a godly woman's character can be summed up in this simple truth. She has a servant's heart. Any godly woman, the heart of her godliness is a desire to serve. Period. Doesn't mean she can't do other things. But that core of her identity and character is a desire to serve. She has a deep desire to help and serve, or she is selfless. All godly women are selfless. Now, to go to Genesis, can women name animals? Sure. Can women dress and keep a garden? Sure. <laughs> but God created her to be in a supportive position. And he gave the dominion job to Adam. Now, men, the more that we are the men God made us to be, the more women can be the women God intended for them to be. It's true. And even for those who are unmarried, the more men live like men, the more women can live like women. I don't want to dwell on this, but I do have to say it. Um, No, I'll say it later. I'll say it later. So let's look at just a few principles. We'll finish up the message with this. Principles for women. Uh, I had more of these for men, and they were more clear, and I felt a lot harder on men than I do on women. Probably because I am a man. That's okay. And, and also because the dynamic's different. Sometimes men just need kicking in the rear end. Grow up. That's why I said that in those messages. Some, I mean, grow up, men. I'm not talking that way to women. You see, it's different. And God's heart is different. He he spoke to Peter a whole lot different than he spoke to Mary Magdalene, Jesus. Okay, so the first principle, women, if you want to do what God wants for your life, if you want to serve Him, be pleasing to Him, whether you're married or not, seek what God has placed deep within you, underneath all the noise and conditioning of society. If deep in your heart your true desire is to be a wife and a mom, seek that. There's no shame in it. You're not less than. Now, I'm not telling you have kids if you don't want kids. Some of those people would be, it'd be better if they didn't. But if you have that desire, don't bury it under what the world told you to be. <laughs> I already said this, but if you're a young woman, the most beautiful thing you could do is raise up children to serve the Lord. This, this command God gave, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That's what He told them. It's pleasing to the Lord. If you follow him in marriage and have children and raise them up to serve him. The second point, listen to me older ladies. And that's why God put it on my heart to have the young women and then the mature women and then the men to pray. If you're a mature woman, strive to live in such a way that your life is worth copying. Some of you have done that. And God bless you for it. At my grandmother's funeral, she wasn't perfect, but at her funeral, Jessica, my cousin, wrote this in her obituary. uh, Her children rise up and call her blessed. We did that at her funeral. She lived a life worthy of copying. Wasn't perfect, but she lived a life worthy of modeling. 
Older women, if you've already have ch- kids, if you've got grandkids, if, if you don't have any kids but you're of that mature age, live your life in a way that is worth modeling. What does that mean? Titus 2, verse 3 uh, through 5. Listen to this. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what's good, train young women to love their husbands and children. That's fascinating. You mean it's not inherent and automatic? Uh Uh-uh. Young women are not naturally good wives and mothers. They need to be taught. Not Josh Gregory's opinion. This is what Paul told Titus. Some of you don't have mothers that are worth modeling. That's okay. Pray that God will put somebody else in your life. I don't have a dad that's worth modeling. I don't. He's a bad guy. God has put other men in my life to model my life after. And that's what he intends for you. Older women likewise be, I want to read this again, be reverent in behavior. That is so different than being bickering. This nasty gossip that so many women do. Be reverent in behavior. Don't be slanderous. Don't talk about people. Listen, gossip and criticizing, it's no big, it's not no big deal. It's a big deal. Don't be, don't drink too much. I don't think maybe that applies to anybody here. But it's important. You don't need to not have a sober mind. Don't be a... Not just alcohol. Don't be a slave to anything, older women. You should teach what is good and train the young women to love their husbands and children, teaching them to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. You might not realize this. I didn't realize it until studying for this message. Being self-controlled, pure, desiring to work at home, being kind, submissive to their own husbands, these things have to be taught. Now, younger women, y'all listen to me. If you're a younger woman, seek the wisdom and counsel of older women. If you don't, you're foolish. Seek the wisdom and counsel of older women, not strangers on the internet. Don't just Google your needs. We had a beautiful, we have a Bible study that Nick and Tabby have got us into, our dear friends, and we're trying to understand how to be better parents, these young parents, and it really overwhelms my heart. And I don't say this with any criticism, but I heard all the young moms talking about all their worries and Googling to find the answer. Stop it. Really? You trust those people? They're evil. Find a godly woman to ask things. And if you don't have a mama to do that, or maybe your relationship with your mother-in-law is not such, pray for God to put somebody in your life that has been there and done that and lived with His Holy Spirit who you can ask questions and be helped by. Y'all know how the internet is. You say, oh... What is my headache? And it says you have a brain tumor. And all it is is you didn't drink enough water. That's how the internet is. You don't want to get parenting advice from Google. All right. So the point, though, is not Google. The point is find women, older women. Older women be women that are worth copying. And then younger women, find older women to to, uh, model your life after. The fourth point. Women, seek to live in collaboration with men rather than in competition with them. Whether you're married or not. This is not just to married people. You're not in competition with men. 
The best use of your time on earth is to be the woman God made you to be. He made you, young lady back there, any little girls listening to this, God made you who He meant for you to be. It wasn't an accident. You're not in the wrong body. He made you a young woman, a girl, to become a young woman, to become a woman on purpose. And it's beautiful. It's not less than. You're not a man. God didn't make you a man. He didn't mean for you to be a man. I want you to understand this. And let me track the wording because it's important. It's true. Some women are stronger than some men. Some women are. But most men are stronger than most women. And some men are stronger than any woman on earth. Is it true? Brother John's been in the military. He knows. There's a reason jobs like that are dominated by men. There's a reason most metal building erectors are men. There's a reason most hard work jobs are, are men. There's a reason. There's also a reason a lot of teachers and nurses and supportive roles are women. It's not because of the patriarchy. It's not because of gender inequality. It's because God made us different. On the flip side of that, some men, some men are more nurturing than some women. My brother and I, we're pretty nurturing because our mom trained us to be that way. We are. And I don't say it to my credit, it, it is. But most women are more nurturing than most men. Amen? That's why kids want their mama when they're hurt. It's normal. And... Some women are more nurturing than any man ever could be. I'm pretty nurturing for a man. I'm nothing like my wife. I don't have those hormones that make me wake up in the night and have superhuman strength to stay up night after night and week after week and still somehow function. God didn't make me that way. And training only goes so far. Okay? Women are designed to be more nurturing. And if you will submit yourselves and your hearts to God, He'll make you that way. And men, we're supposed to be the ones who protect and serve. And if we'll submit to the Lord in that, He'll help us. He'll give us courage. The fifth point, and I only have, how many do I have? Seven, so I'm almost done. Women, be aware of the curse, but don't be a slave to it. A lot of times we make excuses for our sins, like, oh, I just can't help it. In Genesis 3.16, we're taught, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And That's really interesting. It sounds like it was going to be painful to have kids even before sin. He says, I'm going to make it a lot worse. That's intriguing to me. Think on that sometime. I'll multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you'll bring forth children. Your desire, King James says it this way, your desire will be for your husband and he'll rule over you. And this translation says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, he'll rule over you. This is the curse. Here's what I'm talking about. And I'm going to use my wife as an example again. There's something in her that God put there that wants to be a good wife, wants to find a man who could lead her, wants to submit to the Lord. And there's also something in her that's this competition, this grinding this head oh there she is <laughs> she came back when i started talking no i i'm just we we talk about this it's true she'll tell you this 
there is, there, if you're saved, there's a dual desire. There's your nature, which is part of the curse, just like there is for us men. And that curse says, although the part of me that's submitted to God wants my husband to rule over me, there's a part of me that wants to dominate him. That's the battle, ladies. It's okay, just be aware of it. And don't submit yourself, don't yield to it too much. It's there, it's not going anywhere. My wife, it's, she wanted to be married to a man, and I'm not a perfect man. I try to be a man of God. Um, and she likes that. But she also doesn't like it. Amen, women? It's, that's how it is. That's the curse. Don't let it be a bigger deal than it is. That's just what we have to deal with. Just like men, let's say this to men. Our curse, by the sweat of your brow, you eat bread all the days of your life. We're supposed to go grind in the world. That's our curse. Women have to deal with this, this competition, domination thing, and the pain of childbirth. I think we got the better end of the deal. I'd much rather sweat. Okay, two more points. Women, you want to serve the Lord? This is what Scripture teaches. Prayerfully cultivate a gentle and quiet spirit. Some of you women have been forced into masculine roles. I'm sorry. But you need to cultivate gentleness. You need to cultivate a quiet spirit. You don't need to be combative. You don't need to be argumentative. It's not your job. To, my wife, some, again, sorry babe, but sometimes she tells, I'm like, what are you doing? She says, I just need to stand up for myself. She says, I'm not abusive. Like, what do you need to stand up to? But that's how she feels. And so I need to figure out what I can on my end to make it better, but she also has got to let go of the stuff on her end. Right? What God calls you to, women, is to cultivate a meek and quiet spirit. I don't mean be a pushover. That's not what I'm saying. If you don't have somebody to protect you, you've got to protect yourself. I want my daughter to be safe in the world if I'm not there to protect her. But I don't want her to walk around, you know, prickly and all like a bull or something. That's my job. Let me give you scripture, not just my opinion, and I'm almost done. 1 Peter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some don't obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, this is not just to married women. This is women. You, you want to please the Lord. You live in a way that the people you're around have no idea how you're so kind and gentle. That's what you should seek as, as a woman. It's not your job to be hard and, and, and domineering and, and this battle thing. Don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. Let me pause here and say there's nothing wrong with hair braids. Paul was addressing a cultural issue. This culture at the time, it was about the women being ostentatious and gaudy and drawing attention to themselves. In our culture, this is what he would have said. Don't wear yoga pants and have a spray tan. Focus on your heart. That's what he would have said. Don't go out to get attention. That's what this was about. He says, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. 
which in the sight of God is very precious. That's beautiful, women. You want to know something? Wake up in the morning and say, God, give me the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. That's why we rise up and call my grandmother blessed. Now, she was Scottish background, and she, was, she wasn't a pushover, and she had some fire in her. And I admired that. But she didn't let it out much. Because she understood my job. God gave me a man that I'm supposed to, to be I'm married to him. And he's the one who has dominion over our house. I'm going to submit to it. That's how she lived. Her daughters are here, didn't she? The fire came out some. But they didn't battle all the time. That's a miserable way to live. This is how holy women hoped in God. And used to adorn themselves. Let me read this phrase again because it's so pretty. It's so beautiful. The imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. And the final point. Women, young women, listen to this. God created you in His image. Everything He made, as I said in the first message about this, is has His thumbprint. You're not an accident. God created you just how He meant to. You're a reflection of some aspect of who He is. Stop trying to change yourself. I don't just mean in these corrupt, perverted, crazy ways that we have now. It has always amazed me that women with beautiful curly hair straighten it. And women with straight hair curl it. I've never understood it. I'm not saying you shouldn't. That's up to you. I'm not saying a throw out your curling iron is sinful. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that. But what you should do is dig into your heart and say, why do I feel compelled to do that? That's a question for you and the Lord to investigate. It's funny, women are always changing themselves and, and sometimes the way they were before is much more beautiful. Isn't it? You've seen what the, these Hollywood people are doing now? They look like a normal person and then all their nose is all blown up and weird looking. They think that's attractive? It's strange. Huh. You don't need to be something different. You don't have to focus on the outside. Just focus on the inward things. Focus on your heart. God knew what He was doing when He made you women. And He gave you the heart you have. And He meant for you to be what He wants you to be. Don't worry about all this other stuff. Don't worry about what people think. You just be what God wants and everything will be what it should be. That's the message. God bless you. At some point, I don't know if it will be next Sunday. I'm not sure. I feel like I can't move on from these without preaching about marriage in particular and parenting. So sometime I'm going to have to do that. Pray for me. I don't know if it will be next week, but pray for me about that.